Welcome to Sticky Jazz, everybody. I'm your host, Jeremy Hanks, the man of a million musical opinions, and they all have to be right. This week on the show, we have Stringlow, the professional experience, the tribute show, blessed by the professional. We start the show with part of their cover and listening to it, you might ask yourselves, is it real or is it memorized? Listen up, sit back, and let's all see Sticky Jazz and enjoy. Okay, so everybody, uh, welcome to Sticky Jazz, and this is the uh, podcast episode with Strange Love, the Depeche Mode Experience, and on the line, I've got, uh, well, introduce yourselves as your Depeche Mode characters, gentlemen. Yeah. Ultra Dave is Dave gone, I suppose. Okay, and who's, uh, show us there, Fletch? Hey, in the Fletch here, out in California. In With a the, the t-shirt. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, no, big the, the fan. Um, and who else we got? Uh, hi, Brent Meyer is Counterfeit Martin. And last but not least is our... I am Julian Shartaylor, live from the inferno that is California. Um, <laughs> as... It's been so long. Oscar Wilder. <laughs> Oscar Wilder. And he, he is also a fantastic David Bowie. Um, as we, oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, not, not quite David Bowie's Wonka the Sane as the books described him, but yes, he, he is our David Bowie here. So, um, well, everybody, welcome. And sorry that uh, your tour was canceled like everybody else, but I do want to give you some some more exposure and uh let's see sticky jazz seems to be the place because we're all fans of everybody's work each other's work and uh again everybody this is strange love the depeche mode experience who my friend ted says should just rename themselves as void comp because that's what it would take to know the difference between them and the real thing so uh and uh let's start off runner reference Yes, the Blade Runner reference, which... Uh, um, tell me about your yes, mother. Yes, tell me about your mother, yes. <laughs> Actually, I, I do have a very large uh, rifle behind me, you know. Anyway, um, so let's fire off. Uh, you guys were all in the business independently, uh, as I understand the story, that you were all in the business independently. Brent was running a company that managed uh, tribute bands, you had Pink Floyd and Fleetwood Mac and everything, and then somehow you all morphed into this project here. Uh, if if the story's wrong, fill in the blanks. Right. Well, I'll start with that since you led with me. Um, it, it was kind of a, a concurrent timeline. I, I'd started the first iteration of what became Strange Love in 2006, and uh, started a, a tribute band agency about the same time. I'd been in a few 
80s themed cover bands prior to that and had done well, but had kind of hit a ceiling. And with tribute bands, um, there was just a lot more possibility um, beyond just regional success. And so, and I figured, uh, you know, that's, I looked at vocalists that I thought I could successfully emulate and Martin Gore was pretty up there on tops of the list. And so I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And uh, here we are 14 years later, touring the world, at least up until the, the plague times. Right. I think, he, I think Brent, Brent also decided that Pavarotti, which is another one he does very well, was probably a different audience than he preferred. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't look at all money money. Rattle the jewelry. Yeah, yeah but, but you know, you, you guys at least look close enough to the to the the guys you're emulating that I would say, you know, that would work. Pavarotti, sorry, Brent, you don't you don't have that in you, you know. I just um, got to have more pasta and, you know. He has the voice. He has the voice, here. but, but yeah. not not the girth. I, hey, <laughs> I got a white handkerchief. Actually, I, I am somewhat opera trained, and Pavarotti's a bitch to do, man. I tell you that that one's pretty hard. You should so. you should you should hear Brent's Pavarotti. He did a huge there were two tribute band that supported us um, here in California, and Brent did the uh, Passengers verse by Pavarotti, and we have a video, and it was absolutely phenomenal. He does it so very you, well. So you do a YouTube tribute? Yeah, no, we, no, we, we played with, with our friends in a YouTube tribute, Joshua Tree, and. Uh, we we they did a uh, you know Miss Sarajevo from the Passengers album with right yeah, yeah 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 no it's just what you you know the U two's my band right yeah. I mean I've seen them uh, forty six times photographed them on multiple tours U two is my band but I didn't know that one wow yeah. that's yeah well bring them through next time you come on tour man come come well come sadly they're they're guys. now kind of defunct slash hiatus so um, well so is everybody else at the moment well, yeah um, but I think even prior to uh, uh, yeah. prior to COVID but so what are your what are your guys other projects then I know Julian when you came through in uh February or right before the fit hit the shan um you, you were telling me that you, you had actually done some work with David J from Bathhouse and Love and Rockets yeah uh, I have I have a um uh, basically I have a single out right now with MGT, who's uh, who's played with Tricky and the Mission UK and written a whole bunch of stuff with the Wonder Stuff guys. So that single's out now. And next month, well, the 18th of this month, actually, I have a single coming out with David J playing bass, MGT on guitar and Mark Slutsky. So basically, it's the Ruby Rock crew. And it's out on next Friday with a video from one of our good friends, um, who's a, a very... Um, famous burlesque performer she's doing a kind of collaboration for the video so it's going to be fun it's going to have david david just said through his portion of the video which is which is awesome. well that's david though david was probably the most arty of yeah. Bauhaus and love and rockets um peter was the most charismatic obviously peter murphy's you know, he's you know and uh then who did we have um Daniel, Daniel's the glam Daniel, man. Daniel is the one hundred percent glam man of the band. He's he's the most glam of the the new wave dark rock era. That is Daniel Ash, and then Kevin just sits back and plays drums. Um, so Kevin's actually fun, funnily enough, I just had a meeting with the PR woman who de deals with me, David and Kevin. Kevin is the most active 
in a PR sense of all of the battles. Well, he, talk, well talking to him, he's, he's funny. He's a great guy to talk to. Peter Murphy, when, when he's going and he's going well, he's incredibly charming and really funny. But Kevin is the one to just sit back and talk to. He can tell you a million stories. He's a lot of fun. Um, I love I love Kevin. Kevin and David are, are my guys. I really love, love. David is the most entertaining, funniest. Just, I mean, he's a, he's a raconteur. Yes. I mean, I spend a lot individual. of time in the studio with him where he's just telling me stories. He's just telling me stories. And then we've worked on some stuff, which is secret but it'll be out hopefully soon where he's just telling the story of, of this one particular event. And it's just him recounting the story throughout the song. And the song is this like crazy industrial nut nutty backdrop. And then he's telling this quite kind of gross story to be honest. It's almost like, um, William. Oh, Hale wow. He's, he's well, I'm going to have to get him on, on the show just thing. to have him tell that story. Um, yeah. so no, with, with, I don't think he'll, He'll tell it until until the, the okay comes out. He'll probably so. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's see. I'm on with. I've spoken to Simon Hinkler. I've met Wayne Hussey multiple times. Um, Miles Hunt met him as well. I, I I bootlegged one of their shows on video with Wayne and Miles on tour back in what 2008. I think that was the last time I saw any of those guys. Together? Yeah. Yeah, um, it was Wayne with his guitar and the piano, and Miles had uh, Eric and Knuckles playing violin, and Miles played guitar, and that was it. It was a fantastic set. So, that's a vet, that's a vet, that's a money spinner for those guys because they can just go out with a guitar and make lots. Well, of they money. yes, but they, they had like this cheap rent a van, you know, that was what they were living in, and but yes, you know, that was all the money. That was back when Wayne was, I think it was when he was still living in Brazil. So. Um, so yeah, here we are. We're all talking about like all the million different bands and we've all crossed paths a million times until <laughs> but we never did until we actually met, but we've all been friends with so many of the same people. Even Fletch, I found out knows the girlfriend of my buddy, uh, Ron Wasserman and Ron and I have known, I've known Ron for like 20 years. And then I just saw Fletch showing up on, uh, on Ron's feed there one day, I was like, wow, small world. But in, in this industry, that's what it is. It is a small world. But. Yes, it is. So uh, you picked up the Depeche Mode bit uh, about what time? When, when did that come onto the, uh, onto the plate for you guys? Well, uh, the first iteration of Strange Love started in 2010. And actually, a nice sidebar story is the plans were made because it was kind of morphing out of my original uh, project uh, that I'd done with one of the other members. And uh, we kind of decided to morph it into Strange Love and made those plans at Alan Wilder's Recoil Tour show. So that's, that's okay. a fun fact. And um, uh, Strange Hour. Uh -huh. Yes. So did you, I mean, what was his, uh, did, did you bring it up with him or did you, did you guys just like, Hey, this no, sounds like it had worked. I just, and, and I just a got a fun. quick picture with Alan. I didn't really get to have a substantive discussion, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, most um, of my interaction has been with Martin and I've, I've spoken with him plenty, but, um, but not so much Alan, um, our good mates in, uh, what was formerly speak and spell, uh, now the devout in London, um, a couple of those guys are pretty good mates with him and, and have regular contact with Alan since he's local boy. Yeah, he is still up there. I got, uh, 
I got friends who they still talk to him and he's, uh, uh, like I said, a uh, black nail cabaret. She had worked with Alan for a little bit in the studio and he came in very polite, very respectful and said, okay, what are your presets? So that he would know where she was to work off of what she did instead of just coming in going, I'm the God of this studio and you do it as, as I lay it down. And you, uh, everybody says pretty much the same thing. He's he's very interested in working with everybody where they start and then to go from there. No, the I, th I think he's a brilliant collaborator, co collaborator and collaborative mind. It's it's no surprise to me that he would be very open minded and, and you know work working in that aspect. I, I I wish he were more active as a producer, frankly. He's, he's, but there's he's, a kind of irony in that because if you yeah. ask Richard Barbieri or or um, Alan Wilder to come and work on your record, you want their sound. <laughs> you don't want yeah. them to find what your sound is. Yeah, I don't want right. more of me. I want more of you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've right. got plenty of me on the rest of the record. I mean, you don't want to be told your stuff is crap, but you definitely <laughs> want the flavor that they bring. You know. Sure, and uh, it's. It's one of those things that it's, well, I want to sound good. And how much do you want uh, of him to make you sound good? I suppose um, that's where, you know, everyone draws the line where they got to collaborate and then the lines all get gray. So, um, you yeah, want meanwhile, Steve you want Steve Albini to capture, you want Steve Albini to come in and capture what you sound like. You want Alan Wilder to direct what you sound like. Right. right. It's it's like uh, the biography the of my life. When, when they make the movie of my life, I need it written by Chuck Palahniuk, um, who did Fight Club. I need Ernest Hemingway. I need David Foster Wallace and Hunter S. Thompson. Those guys write my biography, and then it needs to be directed by David Fincher. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, Charlie Kaufman. by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, Charlie <laughs> Kaufman. <laughs> Uh, David Fincher, David Lynch. Yeah, you know, those yes. guys, right? Um, All good stuff. Uh, oh, and Wes Anderson. And Wes Anderson, you know, because um, – and, and when those guys all make – and with Ridley Scott as the artistic consultant. Those guys can make the movie of my life, but, you know, that that, that would be a big consulting project there as well. Um, so uh, I was going to ask – okay, no, it looks like we're good now. Uh, the audio was a bit – on my side was a bit uh, – lagging for a bit there so it looks like hmm. we're, we're fine so leo fire off what was your job can uh prio to this pre to this and then we'll move on to fletch yeah you know like i've been in a couple of projects like one of them is for moda which is uh fermuda from swedish to imagine to believe it's more of kind of like industrial alternative metal you know, type of an act. We actually, ironically, opened for Stabbing Westward when oh, they were wow. when they were the Dreaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like a few years back. And Chris Hall, you know, made a couple of you know funny comments. You know, you know, a couple of like ironic comments, whatever. And uh, yeah, it it it's it's just uh, and I like I also have my own solo, more like electronic you know, synth pop, new wave type of a project that is, you know, closer to Depeche Mode, if you may. Yeah, so that was, you know, what I was doing. You know, so and, what, uh, here, here's the kicker. You're, you sound identical to Dave and you look enough like Dave. How, 
I mean, did everyone just say you do that? So go and go and be in the Depeche Mode tribute band, or how did you how did you get into this one? Because I know Julian looks enough like Alan Wilder, and Fletch looks enough like Fletch, but they're not the ones singing in Depeche Mode, right? And Julian is, like I said, he's David Bowie, but uh, you you were magic out there, you know. Well, thanks a lot. I mean, those comments did kind of occurred, you know, uh, throughout the years. And uh, I've, you know, before Strange Love, I took a part in a couple of like a theme parties that were kind of like Depeche Mode, 80s, new wave type of nights, you know, where I was semi impersonating, you know, the Dark Lord himself. So, yeah, like we've been really thankful with what we, you know, possess, you know, to be quite honest. So, uh... well, so live. You, I mean, I know that you, you learned to dance like Dave. I mean, you, you, you had the show, you had that set down and you were swinging the mic around like Dave and all that. But I'm also going to, going to put this embarrassing point out uh, <laughs> in between the sets, Leo runs backstage and does a bunch of sit-ups just to tighten his abs back up again so we can get back <laughs> out there and still look like Dave. <laughs> and uh so here was here was the, the funniest comment. Um, Ted Ted's going to listen. Ted Ted he's, he's the subject of this interview, right? He's he's the he's the guy that should be here. Ted said, "Well, Ted was really funny because he um, he said, Strange Love, unlike Depeche Mode, Strange Love's Fletch can put his hands on the keyboard, and corresponding sounds will come out." you know and then when we were filming you guys right um uh the other camera woman sheena she came up to me and said that guy right there fletchman i can't get him to make love to the camera he doesn't even acknowledge me and then i walked over and then i, I actually put my camera right on your hands and the keyboard right there from the side and i was like man this guy's going to town as against watching andy fletcher do his business where Andy's just up there lip syncing, doing this. And then when he sees the camera on him in 101, he's like, oh, shit, you know. And so you were on it. I mean, you guys were all on it, really doing it. But uh, next time around, smile to the camera. All right, Fletch, give us, you know, give us something more than just your your music. Uh, you got it. So, but no, you, you guys were great, too. Talk for a minute there, Fletch. Uh, what did you do before and how did you get into the game? Well, this, this, this has been my gig. I've got the shortest resume of any of these guys, but, you know, I kind of looked at them. I followed them around um, back when Brent had his original iteration of this going. I had a friend that was another part of the band, and I would go to shows, and, you know, I just saw that they needed a star. So I talked to Brent and said, hey, you need me in this band. Not really. Totally sarcastic, but um, yeah, I was hanging out, uh, you know, hauling their gear around, being their roadie for a couple of years and saw an opportunity to get in and thought I could fill the bill that uh, they needed and going on, what, six years now. Yeah, six years. I've been uh, filling those shoes, doing, you know, doing my best rendition I can of Fletch. Um, plus but you, you, you do it well doing some singing. Yeah. Actually you're, you're, you're a better Andy Fletcher than Andy Fletcher, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, the, the, the best part when, when you guys came through town, right. You, you guys know like Salt Lake, 
is one of the Depeche Mode capitals of the world, so you guys could play here. Everyone was saying you should come through. If you came through every four months, you would be selling out your shows. You know, that's how the people yeah. want to see you guys. People suggest that sort of things to us about come to this market and as though it were up to us. I, I'd been trying to get gigs in Salt Lake for roughly 10 years. We <clears> finally <throat> broke somebody and who was willing to take a chance on us. And then yeah. it sold out. <laughs> so. And then it sold out, yes. And then it sold out again. Um, I mean, you you guys were capacity minus five, I think, last time around. Yes. Is that the, was that the score? And that's only because they have to pay us more if those extra five people are acknowledged that they scooted out the door early. Oh, right. Yeah, so they can't come out. And, and, and we don't count, right? We, the that's camera right. crew. Yeah, we yes, didn't count. Exactly. Um, no, we, we had a great time at that show. Uh, Sheena, the, the other camera woman, was when, when we got to the point when you came up to do your Martin of uh, somebody, and I was like, why the hell not, man? You know, and we just got on the stage. We walked, like, right up behind you guys, and we're sitting in the corner trying to hide in the dark and filming you. Um, you nailed it. I, I mean, there was that one, that, that one lady up front. She was singing every song, beating on the stage with every beat. But when you were doing that, somebody, she cried. She was in tears. And she was the one going, my God, he's the best guy. He sounds just like Martin. You know, and somebody was the ballad for every, you know, new wave kid in high school anyway. Uh, but you, that, that was where, I mean, that was the litmus test. By then, you can do Martin and you can do Martin well, but can you do Martin as good as Martin? And somebody was the was the final test on that, and it was phenomenal there. Well, and I mean, it's it's a bit of an interesting situation because we're all musicians in our own right, and as as we've you know briefly discussed and alluded to, we have our own musical projects. But it's an interesting role when we're kind of stepping into somebody else's shoes, and there's that. <laughs> Uh, preset expectation and that's a different relationship with the audience I think than occurs in uh, you know either or you know original music projects or um, even groups that are performing music by a large group of artists um, rather than one specific artist um, it, it seems like we're we're held to a much higher standard and Depeche Mode fans are so passionate and so cultish that any one little thing we get wrong. Yeah, I, I don't think Dave's pants were quite hemmed that short. <laughs> I know. the bottom of those pants, you know. Right, yeah. That true, true story. I'm not exaggerating. Oh, no. Right, yeah, no, but you, the, the, the like when Julian was up and you guys were doing your, your Bowie, <laughs> performance right and julian had to have i mean yeah you, you know julian your hair was all bowie-esque and you had the the glasses that i guess he was wearing those on low right was that correct julian was from the low album cover yeah. and your shirt your vest was all i was like man he's so getting down to the razor of bowie you know because you and and that, that was fantastic I, I mean you you got really close to that and you sounded so much like bowie and then, of course, you had the expertise of Brent sitting in the back chiming away on the guitar. It was just a, you know, that, that Bowie set was a lot of fun, too. It's, um, an, it's an odd paradigm. For, for I'm sure, you know, Leo and I discussed this on the road ad mm -hmm. nauseam because we talk, 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 talk all the way through all the rides and all the, 
various, you know, sitting together, we can't shut us up. And it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird paradigm because for, for original it. artists who are active in that world, as Brent is now, so we're, we're all three of us creating original music, the actual sort of the, the tribute world seems to be, a, it's, it's more like an acting role. So we're, we're sort of approaching it in that sense. And, you know, it's, it's a bonus because a lot, a lot of tribute bands mentioning no names and no specifics just think it's good enough to look right and twirl around correctly. But the musicianship is lacking. Whereas I feel like, you know, we, as musicians, we see this as acting on top of the musical skill set, And we hope that that conveys in what we're doing. It's like, you know, we're trying to embody a role rather than just mm -hmm. sort of perfunctorily feed our egos because our egos are fed by our own music, you know? <laughs> we want to feed the audience what they want. And I think right. we do it that way, you know? And right, I yeah, I mean, we... We, well, yeah, we, we come to see Depeche Mode as best as we can. We come to exactly. see David Bowie as best as we can. The difference is Depeche Mode will be taking up the road again one of these days, and Bowie will not, sure. you know. And uh, you you gave a very respectful tribute to him as well. You know, you, you told the same types of jokes you would on stage, all that. It was it was very good. <laughs> it's, and, a, it's, a great, it's a great honor to have, have them have the audience appreciate us playing music that we love whether it be bowie or depeche mode i mean we are honored by depeche mode fans by bowie fans it is not the other way around we do not feel like this is us becoming these great you know mus musical egos we are serving the audience and we feel that way about it so we want to yeah. make it as as immersive and as specific as possible with some of like emotional investment into the show. That is a very yeah, important thing you know, that we really do kind of, you know, trying to kind of like relieve those experiences and trying to walk into, you know, their shoes and into yeah. audiences' shoes, you know, no pun intended. We're mega fans. <laughs> we shoes. are mega fans, genuinely so, you know. But also- Ultra fans. As, as Julian alluded to, uh, in terms of our approach to it, I think it is, serious i like to use the analogy you know we were discussing pavarotti earlier and you know he he has actually you know in his lifetime as one of the world's greatest tenors ever you know had a handful of original compositions himself but by and large he was an interpreter of others music you know he sang the great oratorios and operas and i, I look at our approach to this much like yo-yo ma it's like i'm going to I'm gonna to try to rip up this Bach or Mozart or Stravinsky or whatever it is to the best of my ability and emote basically, you know, what, what was on the score, what was what the composer intended. And and that is that is that is our marching orders as well. Um now in terms of the personalities and whatnot and emulating those people on stage, that ends the second, you know, the last note's over, and then we're just regular Joes and going about our business. But while we're on stage, we want, really want to fully inhabit um, emotionally those the great works. So no. there is, there yeah, is a, 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 I mean, you know, John Lennon said it and he probably said it on acid and he probably said it as, you know, on a narcissistic jag, but he wanted, <laughs> he wanted to be termed in, in terms of Beethoven. He didn't want to be ter termed in terms of, you know, a fun old rock and roll band from England. So I think that, you know, I, I would view certainly Bowie 
and Depeche as having all-time classic, emotionally invested, beautiful music that transcends the genre that they chose to, to inhabit. And I feel like, you know, we, we are greatly honored by the opportunity to interpret that as well as we can. And we have a template, which is, you know, we have paint, well, Brent predominantly has painstakingly recreated the template that was laid out for us. So it's, it's actually, it's, it's amazing that we get to do this. It's, you know, <laughs> fantastic well. stuff. Well, the, the kicker, a good point there is, as difficult the guy as John Lennon was, and there he was legendary about having no tact. He told you exactly what he was thinking and all that, but even John Lennon at his worst, I don't think, well, most people have no idea what a complete asshole Beethoven was. I mean, when you, when you want an asshole, asshole, jerk, I mean, just the most impossible guy in the world, that was Beethoven, you know? Um and Beethoven thought, I am the greatest there ever was, the greatest there is, and the greatest it ever will be. And he, I mean, that and was he true. Was. Yeah, that was true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the worst thing about Beethoven was he was right. And, but he was, so um, you guys, obviously, no one's trying to be Beethoven, uh, but uh, you we do. That's like him in those powdered wigs on stage. Actually, my best friend was in uh, Madrigals, whatever the the best choir for the school, and he was a he was a classical pianist trained from age four. He you know he was all that. He showed up to do his his school pictures with a Beethoven wig on, right? So the yeah. yearbook picture had that on him, but he, he wasn't near the asshole that Beethoven was either. So, um, <laughs> but uh, so let's see, Leo, uh, tell us where you're from. Well, I am originally from Eastern Europe slash Russia. You know, I came to America back in 2005 when I was 17 years old. So it took some time to sort of, you know, blend in with society, if you may. Yeah. Uh -huh. When are you planning to do that, Leo? Yeah. When does that start? <laughs> I love you, man. That's what I, exactly. You know, right. this mister... You know, can yeah. It's, it's all that alien DNA. He's still working it out. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so let's here's 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 the next joke. Uh, not joke, but new, new point. Okay, wait. No, everybody say where they're where they're from. Our and then schedule I'll, this I'll year is good joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't forget to tip your waitress. They'll be here all week. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> On Zoom. And yeah, and and, wow. and and you live. You're up in New York City. Is that correct, Leo? Yes. Yeah, I've been here for you, 15 years. And, and you're not leaving the house, right? Not really. Yeah, is, is that why, you know, you haven't even cut your hair forever, right? Um, it was much shorter when you were here last. Uh, Fletch, where are you at? I am in Anaheim, California, uh, the, the land of the mouse. Um, Actually, now, there is, I don't know if it's still open, but there was, and they had opened it in the 1930s, Gustav's Polka Tavern. Do you, do you know that place? I do not know that one, no. It, it was, uh, it was starting, because Anaheim, we know German town, right? And, and they set up a Polka Tavern in the 30s, and it was like Oktoberfest every night, and they had, uh, but they always had this mariachi band in there, because they couldn't find any more Germans you could play polka, and that was how they were, at least back in the 90s. I don't know if they played I, 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 do know, I do know a couple of German places in Anaheim, but uh, not by that name. Oh, uh, okay. But do, do they play the polkas there every night? And... 
Uh, I don't know. I don't hang out there very much. I've been there a few times and uh, I don't recall the musical selections they had going, but uh, the food was good. Yeah. No, I, I used to live in Germany and I love the food, love the culture and polka is like one of my guilty pleasures. So oh, yeah, no, we were, were supposed gonna... to have, we had a, a little mini German tour set up in late April and May that got canceled. And mm. that's, that's another market we've been attempting to get into for years and years. And so I was really crestfallen when we had to push back those plans. And now there's just, uh, you know, a tentative, we hope maybe around this time, maybe it'll happen. But we had tour dates announced and tickets on sale and all of that, uh, including a big, uh, like Berlin, Depeche fan that, that would have been phenomenal so well I know Germany and Italy would probably be the the biggest markets for you guys over in Europe right yeah we've played Milan and that was also for uh it's like uh, the 25th anniversary of their uh Italian DM party you know basically like a DM convention or festival sure yeah and they brought us over for that and that was by far the most receptive audience we've played to. I think we'd all agree. A oh, lot of, wonderful. A lot of fans, they're singing along with choruses or whatnot, but these people were singing synth melodies and they would carry on after the song was over. They just, it's like they would perpetuate their own music in the audience. It was it's, it's the soccer. It's the soccer culture where-, where Yeah, I was gonna crowd. say, if, if yeah. the Italians take to, I mean, I know the Italians do that, for Depeche Mode and for you too, at least that they 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 go at the fandom like they do football. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that I, yeah. I I'm I'm fully aware of it. But I, I think that you're lucky they weren't storming the stage, right? Just uh, the, too high. What, the stage was so high that, that that's show. right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have been in trouble, right? No, they call that what the Italians call it, paninari. I think is what they call it. It just it's the hooligans going crazy. They call that paninari. Um, that, we that can't wait wonderful. for, we, for we another treated, we treated dose well. of that. We we cannot wait to go yeah. back to such places. They fed us. <laughs> they they fed us in in a very very fantastic, fancy, gorgeous. Know, what we would term a five star restaurant. What yeah. right by the Il Duomo? Yeah. I think it was like a Valentino. Really yeah, yeah, something like yeah, something like Valentino. Ridiculous. Along the here, that was some great reward. It was. Sure. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. We finagled our way in that. Wow, and and you're just waiting for that next time around, just like everybody else. We are. Um, so let's see, Anaheim, New York City, and uh, Brent. Where I'm are we? in Austin, Texas. The which, rock which and yeah, turn of events is not hot and sweltering, and is not on fire um, like like my brethren there in Southern California. We have fire nados and such. So. Uh, we we had uh, 60 mile an hour winds here in uh, 70 foot tall pines this week. It was fantastic. I was I was up watching power lines get taken down and just you know, and I had a lot of fun with the chainsaw in my off time this week. Obviously, that's a great way to take. But congratulations on no natural disasters creeping up your ass there. Good on that, Brent. Um, I'm sure you, you got something coming because we always do. And uh, Julian, where are we? I am in Altadena, which is um, uh, just east of Los Angeles and just north of Pasadena, Rose Bowl fame. 
Um, and it is, you can smell the fires that are, that are burning all around me. And it's the, the sun is orange and the sky is actually pleasant temperature for once because in the last, prior to the fires, it was 121 in California. We, we reached 114 in Altadena. It, it was sweltering and disgusting. And now it's not as, it's not as hot, but you can barely breathe. It's, it's nuts. Wow. Well, so it, you with, know, Iraq in the summer is 100, Baghdad, Iraq is uh, what, 114 in the summer. So, um, it, hey, be glad you're there in uh, California instead. So, um, so well, you live I, I, somewhat close to Fletch. Yes, we do. Hey, we, we're we about an hour away. Together. We travel together. We, we are traveling buddies. We call ourselves hashtag the other two. Yep. <laughs> ah, the ones nobody looks uh, at. Order so, reference. Yeah, the New Order reference, because they said, yeah, we're always the other two, because New Order, you got Barney is the, is, is the, the voice and the front man, but Peter Hook was the, the, uh, the charismatic character that everybody went to watch. And then there's Jillian and Steven in the back going, you know, who the hell are those two? Um, yeah, the other two. <laughs> right. And no, I, again, you know, like New Order being almost in my, you know, up there with you too for me. I, I know everything about them too, so. Um, we were supposed to uh, play with them in January of this year, but alas, that, that didn't happen for some logistical reasons. They had a residency with in Miami uh, at, I think, the Miami Fillmore for a week, and we were supposed to do the closing night with them, which would have been a dream come true, but sadly what? did not come to pass. With, with New Order. With the other two? Oh, with New Order? Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Well, so, New Order slash Bad Lieutenant, whatever you want to call it, but yeah. Yes. As the, uh, when that went to the lawsuit, the judge said, look, you guys don't sound like New Order. You sound like, uh, you know, New Order without Peter Hook. So that was how, you know, Peter Hook ended up winning the lawsuit over that. So, yeah. um, I'm hoping we get to do some shows with Hook and the like that, that, that's would um, I mean, obviously would welcome the opportunity to play with New Order as well. But, um, I've yeah, that, that was a bad divorce. We're much more aligned with Hook and the like. Yeah, that was a, that was a terrible divorce between all those guys. But, uh, I mean, I, uh, I feel that way about Waters Gilmore. It's like, come on, guys, kiss and make up, please. Oh, jeez, yeah. I, yeah, it's as much as I was employed as well. Okay. That, yeah, never going to, especially now. Yeah. That, uh, but um, uh, where, where you get the big egos in there, uh, that's where everyone has the issues. I mean, even Depeche Mode, they flat out have talked about the egos clashing between Martin and Dave. Um, I, I think that is one of, one of the most wondrous things about their four, now 40-year career is that they have found a way to successfully navigate that themselves. And I think they realize how special, and same with you too, they realize what a gift, and let's, let's not fuck this up. Um, right. Just for our own purposes, because we're part of something that is so much bigger than any of the component parts. And that mm -hmm. happens, you know, 0.001% of lifetimes. It's about serving the fans. I mean, again, they, they realize that. I mean, you know, when passengers happened, I understand that the bass player refused to be a part of that. And that's why it was passengers, not you two. Right. 
Is that correct? And he'd left the band and he, he really yeah, he wanted, he demanded to be naked on the cover of the Uptung Baby um, and that well, on the condition he would rejoin the band, apparently. Because there's a picture of him naked on the cover of Uptung Baby. Did you see there, there is. And the American print had an X over his, his gear. Um, <laughs> some friends of mine actually went and uh, made an Adam Clayton light switch cover. <laughs> over that and uh i believe i have it somewhere i i have boxes full of u2 shit i mean just like just that sounds like it should uh, go I mean, the switch should be his banana base uh, let's see, uh, <laughs> let's see uh, here's my here it's a bag of just u2 tour programs nice and there's about i don't know how many there are but yeah i got um, I was sifting through looking for some the other day, uh, actually looking for ticket stubs and, uh, cause yeah, I have, I have a photo album full of ticket stubs and I still have another, probably, I don't know. I need to fill another two albums, uh, <laughs> full of them. So, uh, yes, no, Adam Clayton was also, as I understand during that time, he was in a bad bend with the booze and the drugs and he was also in a uh, with Naomi Campbell, Naomi Campbell and and that was why he was at odds with the band over a lot of things and he missed one show by because he was so lit and that was when they said you dry up or you're out and you too was like we're gonna break up the family doing this but we can't have you destroying yourself and bringing the rest of us with you and that was a, a sad story but you two pulled through uh, a lot of bands don't. Many similar tales. Yeah, the, so many bands don't. Um, even Dave in Depeche Mode, who who almost died how many times? Actually, one time he did die. I think they revived him. But yeah, there was. There's been so much of those stories out there. But it is amazing to hear that yes, Depeche Mode are still kicking and they've still got it is with as much of a history as they've had uh and they're and still relevant and vital they're not a greatest hits touring machine like rolling stones they're, they're right generating new music that is more relevant and you know as edgy and political as anything they've done and good on you'd, them you'd be surprised philosophical you'd be surprised, too you'd be surprised that there are there are those kind of ego battles in tribute world also <laughs> oh yeah <clears throat> <clears throat> Uh, okay. I, well, I, I know, yes, you're right. I know of one very big one that I'm not going to mention because I know people in both bands, um, that, yeah, I, I, again, for me, I won't, as a journalist, I won't air out grievances between artists and I won't talk about scandal, uh, sure. publicly. I mean, you, you know, Brent, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, sure. what you and I have seen backstage, the world would not believe. And you just hear stuff and band members will talk and it's just, you know, you don't, you don't air that in front of everybody. But uh, no, yeah, I, I could see that with the tribute bands. I know a couple of them. Go ahead, yeah. Brent. No, just our public comment on that. It's just that we just marvel at the silliness of that. Um, you know, because as lucky as somebody is to get to end up being Larry Mullen Jr. or something and end up in, you know, the world's biggest band and touring and all that. Um, we, we have a bit of that fairy dust sprinkled on us and get to do, you know, wonderful things and tour the world and all that. And it's, you know, representing 
other people's body of work. And the notion that people, uh, their egos get swollen out of that reflected glory for a, a body of work that somebody else generated is just Ludicrous. the height of silliness to me. Oh, no, I agree with you there. Um, but like back on a note that you had said earlier, uh, when I interviewed Erasure, right? Um, I just Andy, actually. Andy pointed out the success of it all. Yes, he's had his own issues of how did he want to make music and all that. And he said, uh, you know, I said, like, the first time I met them, that was a night that I found out that Vincent actually had a sense of humor. And because Vince was funny. And Andy said, look, Vince would do stand-up comedy if he had the confidence. <laughs> and so Vince just like sitting in a dark room making strange noises and he is completely happy with Andy being the charismatic, egotistical front man. Andy yeah. can go and do that, and he does it well. And Vince loves his role of being the guy in the back who you don't have to pay attention to. And so that's a dynamic that works so well in the industry that, you know, you, you don't find very often. And that, that's why Eurasia's on, what, 19 records, I think? Yeah. So um, let's that's see. Quentin. Pet Shop Boys, same thing. Yeah, it's like they, they can have their issues over things, but not enough to break up the band over the egos. And, you know, good for them. Yeah, but it's like the, the Roger Waters and David Gilmore thing. Um, and even Ian McCulloch and Will Sargent, you know, uh, Peter Hook and Barney, right? These guys are deities in what they do on their, you know, they, they do it so well together and, and separately it doesn't quite work. You know, it's, it's like Lindsay Buckingham with Fleetwood Mac is a God when he's singing with Fleetwood Mac and when he's, when he's playing with Fleetwood Mac, when he, he's out trying to be solo, it's crap, you know, and you know, Mac doesn't do as well solo as he does when he's with Will and the bunny men and all that. So, uh, you know, the ones who can keep it together, like, you know, Depeche Mode, they have had turnover, but it hasn't been as bad as a lot of other bands, you know, and that's a, again, music history lesson for all of us, right? How we're all talking about this. I don't know how much the listeners would know what we're talking about. Um, let's see, Leo, is your next uh, version of how you're going to look uh, the David Gone era of... Um, what personal Jesus time based on your hair or what are you going to do there? Like next time we're we playing Salt Lake city, you mean? Or no, no, no. It's next time you go on tour. Cause remember when Dave grew his hair long songs of faith and devotion and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that what you're looking for? Is that the next look you're going for? We might, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, your, your hair's long enough. So you, you know, you could do that. On, you know, we'd like to keep the mystique on, you know, with what we are going to do next. But this is this era is definitely in the works. Okay. You know, actually, cannot wait to do it because, like, uh, as an acting theatrical aspect of it, is like, you know, it's just like so epic. You know, we need to be like, I think, like post pandemic, uh, it, it it like era of the world is just basically could be you know the best time to really do it you know what i mean like i think it can be you know this could be the the right time for it hopefully right well yeah i mean i i interviewed uh tyler glenn from neon trees last week 
And he, he did point out uh, something very significant. He said, every artist in the world right now feels like they're missing out on everything because they can't tour, they can't play, you know? And everyone's saying, when we can do it again, we're holding nothing back. It's not a budget thing. It's not a, we're, we're going to throw everything that we can to everybody. And the rest of us, the punters, the concert goers are like, give it to us, man. You know, I think that once the, the, the world loosens up and you guys take the road again and every band, we as punters are going to get the buffet of awesome, you know, also we did, we did Violator in Australia in its entirety last year. So songs of faith and devotion is a lo logical next step is just to learn the record and maybe do a songs of faith and devotion themed and, and tour who knows and you're gonna look like him and dress like him for that tour kind of thing and um i get it gotta get a drum kit i gotta get better at playing drums then that was alan's okay He's well leo leo was the 101 the show here leo was definitely 101 that night um but little secret leo's hair's always been that long you just didn't see it was <laughs> oh really away. yeah oh wow tucked away and, and and pinned up and he's very good at manipulating your perception. He's, he's, a he's a mage. <laughs> he's a mage. So, yes. Well, so because uh, Brent's counterfeit Martin, he went out and did the Bowie set with Julian. Again, Julian looked like just a dark-haired Bowie that night. Same glasses, everything. And then, in the five minutes between the sets, right, Brent has to run back in there. And he had to go and stand his hair all up to do the Martin thing to go back out on stage. You know, I mean, he, that was a quick, you know, Superman in the phone booth kind of change. It was pretty funny. <laughs> um, well said. And what's that, Brent? Wait, wait, what's that, Leo? Well said. Yeah, well said. But I mean, but yeah, that, that's what you guys did. I'm like, okay, so you guys were looking the part. You know, even Fletch just looked the part, except, you know, dye your hair red next time, right? And you'd actually be the, you know. What's that's, that? That's but he's also got a blonde, like. my hair red. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you guys look enough like it when you're out there anyway. But, uh, yeah, I was like, why isn't he? Of course, you're not as tall as Andy Fletcher, though. I, I know no, that. I'm uh, about six inches short for that. Yeah. So, um yeah, it's funny when you meet your heroes and you go, damn, they're not that tall. Like, I, you know, again, let's talk about me meeting Bono. It's like, damn, he's not tall. You know, he was wearing platforms and he was still not tall, yeah. you know, because I was taller than Bono at that point. So um, uh, what was my next question about that? Yes, uh, you guys have the blessing of Depeche Mode, right? Talk about that for a minute. Yes, um, I was... Uh Several years back, I was a consulting producer um, helper on Access TV Network's uh, The World's Greatest Tribute Bands. And I'd met Martin a few times prior to that, uh, but that show necessitated us uh, contacting Jonathan Kessler, Depeche's manager, and just getting sort of getting the blessing from the publishing standpoint and all of that, because we had an hour long nationally televised live TV special of us playing all of that music. And we wanted to be above board and do so respectfully. And so, um, yeah, I reached out and, you know, he was, a, he was aware. I think, 
I think he, he reluctantly puts up with it because the band members support us. So that's really the ultimate, I think, litmus is that. Um, and I've also spoken with Anton Corbin and, and mentioned, and, and, and I mentioned that to Kessler as well about, you know, using sort of repurposed likenesses, not exact likenesses of, you know, the violator rows and the megaphones, et cetera. Um, about incorporating that into our own imagery and, and things like that, and you know they, they've been they've been gorgeous. They've been very supportive. Um, you know, even I, I I spent the first couple of months of the COVID plague times um, editing our uh, live in Sydney concert, mm -hmm. which is uh, currently still up on YouTube. Um, I'd intended to, to perhaps take it down but we we can't really commercially sell it so i just want people to have a document of it and be able to see it and uh you know sony uh atv who handles depeche's publishing granted the licenses and all of that so which is usually not done usually there's copyright the robots block the music so oh yeah um, i i've been dealing with that trying to get for our uh our uh uh, documentary film that we were working on um sony I i'm not saying that they're jerks but man talk about hoops and hopscotch man those guys yeah. are like they're like well do you have this license i'm like no they're like well go get that i'm like well who do i talk to go get it they you know they're, they're not very helpful no but then when they, they but then when they came back with what we we're gonna have to pay i was like oh that's easy right you know it was just getting the hoops you know right. there so i it's the industry is you have more lawyers as an army than you do the road crew or everything else, right? I mean, that was a joke because you uh, 2 said at one point they had um, like 150 people per crew and they had different sets going all around you. Know, and they were like, we still have more lawyers than we do crew members, yeah. you know? So um, glad you guys got the blessing of everybody. Uh, what is uh, – what else do you have for the future? Uh, Julian said you're looking at doing a songs of faith and devotion. Um, um, I know that was just as a result of your conversation with, with Leo. I, I, I was floating the idea out there for the rest of the guys. Cause that's, that's the album that got me into Depeche Mode. So, okay. I, I mean, yeah. I think well, and there's fun. a, there's an annual Depeche Mode convention um, that strange love took part in several consecutive years. And we did, I think we started with some great reward doing album presentation shows in their entirety plus B-sides and we got up through Violator. And so if we, if we appear at that uh, again, the next time such gatherings are permitted, um, then for sure the presentation we would do would be uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion. Well, so I think it's here most was, of our favorite yeah, album too. I, th I think I think when we've we've had the discussion, you know, when we've been asked, most of us have said that's our favorite album. So, so that's well, kind of cool. Well, because you, you guys did something that Depeche Mode usually doesn't. Um, and again, if you're taking requests, I would throw in there. Uh, it doesn't matter. But uh, you guys did, but not tonight live, which is not really a Depeche Mode uh, maneuver. There, that that's not usually a staple. And you guys did that. And that was cool for me because it's one that I, I, you know, out of all the bootlegs I have, 
and uh, I looking at my record collection here, I don't think I've got that on any of it. Or it, I don't think it ever was in the Depeche Mode uh, buffet of, of songs to play live. And you guys did it, and you did it very well. Uh, do you take requests from uh, fans for the off obscure stuff, or do you do just do this hit or that hit? What What do you guys do around that? We we do we do learn stuff. We actually had had a scenario which we arise because we've been doing um, occasional get together um, acoustic versions of songs, and we we asked for um, suggestions. And unfortunately, I I was a little bit naive with with some of the earlier stuff. And what we had a request from somebody to replace something that is none of us know. <laughs> there's no track for. And but we do we do if we know it, which is we we have about what sixty songs that we know, Brent. Actually, we're total? we're closer to seventy five at present. So if we know it and it's in that catalog, we'll do it. But if we have to learn it from scratch, I mean, I remember you know we were, we were given you know a, a figure they were like they were going to pay us a certain amount of money but the the process of all of us learning it getting it together recording it putting it into a video i mean you know yeah, it's not even the, the three dollars an hour to do it's something not even the musician learning the live part aspect it's it's chiefly the sound design aspect and that we are trying to recreate it the sonic imprint of a specific song that they had, you know, a lot of gear and very expensive gear um, at their disposal when they created this and to try to retroactively sleuth what they did, what they were using and recreate that to the best of our ability. Uh, you know, I- That's hundreds of hours. <laughs> yeah, I often tell people uh, speaking literally not hyperbolically at this point i've, I've easily have 3500 hours into sound design for this project wow well andy bell from erasure said the same thing doing covers you, it's a forensics uh maneuver to just you know take it apart and deconstruct it um so yeah that's exactly what you do but it is it doesn't matter in your uh in your arsenal one and two yeah oh far out okay so just because some great reward is when i got into them so yeah um so i guess we're tying up now we're coming up on an hour and uh so uh i guess what else do you guys play what other instruments do you guys play would be the the question <laughs> here because i know brent you play everything except yeah. the hurdy-gurdy so no he plays um, the hurdy-gurdy he does <laughs> i mean you know He's going to show you all his... He's oh, my gosh, the drum kit back what there. What do you want? Oh, he's an oh, well, that's, a, that's a balilaika. You bought that in Russia, right? Um, what tickles your fancy? Oh, sweet. Oh. <laughs> so, wait, where is your hurdy-gurdy then? Um, I don't own a hurdy-gurdy, but I have played one. They're so, I... I I, I know the world's greatest hurdy-gurdy player. He plays for Lorena McKinnett, Nigel Eaton. And that guy's a kick. He's one of the most. I love Lorena McKinnett. That's great. Yeah, I was your translator in Paris in 97 for the, uh, no, 90, what year was that? 98 mm -hmm. for the, um, the Live in Paris show. I was your translator that night. Yeah. And that Fun was fact. really, yeah, that was really cool. Go I ahead. have played Lisa Gerard's 
Yang Chin, you know, the Chinese hammer dulcimer, yeah, yeah, played yeah. that with Brendan Perry at a concert once, which was a blast. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we if we wanted to name drop, I'm sure all of you guys would be like, we'd, we'd spend, we'd have the pretty much the whole music world covered. Especially um, Julian, yes. He has yes. Uh, tales to regale you with for certain. Yes, and I thought I did pretty well. I thought I've done pretty well as a journalist over the last, I mean, you know, just for 30 years of going to concerts, and all that but yeah i've i've met guys who've been in it and they've like oh yeah man i went and i've done this with that guy i drank with so and so and i'm like well i had echo and the bunny in my car once you know <laughs> so um so uh, julian what else do you play um okay so when Everything. i was a kid prince prince was my idol and i okay. read somewhere that he played 30 30 instruments so i've played 32 instruments on records in my time <laughs> yay I'm not, Going out I'm, not Prince. Adept, I'm not adept at 32, but I do, I do definitely play piano. I'm classically trained. I play guitar, bass, drums, and I would not claim to be an expert in anything else. But I would, I'd say I'm not bad at guitar and I'm not bad at keyboard instruments. No hurdy-gurdy? Never played a hurdy-gurdy. Burnt's got one up on me there. Oh, see. I like the, it. You do oh, it's, 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 it's pretty it's, easy. It's, it's just like a melodica that you crank. So yeah, it's hurdy gurdy is beautiful. It's it's just the strangest instrument in the world, but darn it, it's it's great. So uh, Fletch, what do you do other than keyboard? Uh, I dabble at the guitar a little bit here and there, but uh, nothing nothing at a level that I could uh, share with an audience. I'd okay. like to sometime. You started on trumpet, right? Yep, I played trumpet in high school. I, I no longer well. have it. I actually uh, donated it to a high school band because it was just uh, collecting dust in my house. I was like, you know what? Let's give this to a kid that uh, wants to learn. So I, I donated So how long have you been doing since? Well, I started with piano when I was eight. Okay. So picked up synth when I uh, hooked up with these guys. Okay. So just again. Quick, just quickly. Uh, yeah, aside, go ahead. A side, side mention. I've just had um, a week, a week and a half of um, David J's bass in my studio. So I've written four new songs using David J's fretless bass. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, That's I saw him. Uh, I, I photographed their tour, the, the, the Peter Murphy, David J in the Flat Field tour that they did. What? The Ruby Last tour? year, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Ruby tour. And... Uh, Oh, it was fantastic. And, you know, Dave was, he, he didn't change instruments the whole night, right? He had Mark Twain no, on he, guitar. He has the black, and, the black fretless. Yeah. And that's, that's and that was, that was all he was on so the whole night. in my studio. Yeah, that was fantastic. Did you and, do all the songs sound like Babushka? No, you know what? You know, what? I'm really proud. The next, the, the one I, the one I first wrote, and I only wrote a little solo on that fretless. It's called All Good Soldiers, and it's coming out not this month the next month, it's probably the best song I've ever written. And it was inspired by having that bass in my studio. And it's a tiny, tiny section of the song. Great. But the song then turned into something completely else. And I really love it. So it's, it's, it's going to come was, out. Was that a Kate Bush babushka reference? Or yeah. was that Julian, uh, or was that going to Leo for uh, the word grandmother in Russian? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's Leo's turn about instruments. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Leo. All righty. So my first love was the drums and a synthesizer. You know, I can't say that I am like 
you know, really kind of like masterful at it. So I, I, I like I would say it's a you know guitar mostly for like riffs, you know, like and rhythm, you know, because when I started my alternative metal, you know, like industrial band, it was kind of like necessary because I wanted to have that groove, you know, metal type of like a cybernetic element to it, you know, and you know, so and uh, I would say it's a guitar and a computer, you know, because everything else I program, you know, like drums and like mm -hmm. and like electronics, you know, which is kind of like a crucial part, you know, it's just like, like all of us are basically kind of like a producers, you know, like in, 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 like, in like today's world of, you know, like, uh, like evolution of technologies, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, like you have an idea in your mind and you literally can just like go inside of your machine and like create it in there. So I'd say it's like a rhythm guitar and, and a computer. So, All right. And sometimes a drum kit or, or an electric drum kit there. Well, Neil, or, Neil played bass. Yeah. Neil played bass on our version of, um, what was the song? Useless, Useless that we just posted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Leo's playing bass on that. And he's a really fine bass player. He, I, he's very modest in how he describes his skills. Okay, well, I, I, I learned also, bass. He's to... also a really talented producer. Well, he, I he think all of you are. To, he's a musician who happens to sing, which is why mm -hmm. I think we all blend so well. And, you know, we're operating on that level instead of just, you know, a bunch of, you know, conservatory ego serving one of these and then right you know well you're 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 not a bar band <laughs> you're not a bar band doing depeche mode covers you know right. you could yeah you know um i mean I, I remember when wire was on tour they hired a wire cover band to play all their earlier stuff so they go and play the new record right <laughs> um you know you, you guys idea. could yeah <laughs> you know if depeche mode wanted to pull that stunt you guys could do it as well so <laughs> Um, We'd love that. We can do all the songs that they'll never do live. Right. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, but you, you guys, here's the, the point, I guess, why Depeche Mode would bless you guys the most is that they, uh, you guys keep it current. You keep people interested, listening to the music, wanting to go and see them live so that when Depeche Mode takes the road, you know, you, you've, you've kept the fans fired up. So I, I think that's a good business move for Depeche Mode to bless you guys to do what you do. So, they're very gracious. Um, they're very gracious about us. And, and they, they joke about us, but they're also very gracious. So yeah, that's nice well, to think, know that we're not just looked down upon and hated. Yeah. <laughs> I think from the business perspective, you're right. Um, and I know for a fact, certain fans have told me that they, you know, perhaps in high school had a handful of Depeche Mode records but thanks to seeing our show, they wanted to go back and revisit the catalog. And so I think we have helped sell some Depeche Mode records. And I know we've sold some Depeche Mode concert tickets. And that's great. We are more than happy to uh, send people to the mothership. Sure. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we've, uh, we've tied up an hour here. So I guess everybody say goodbye. And uh, right. I'll play us know, out. We'll <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Perhaps not. Fabulous. Thanks. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Signing off. 
And there you have it, everybody. That was Strange Love, the Depeche Mode experience. Uh, go give them a listen to if you're a Depeche Mode fan. Even if you're not, this should probably do it for you. Um, that wraps it up for this week. Special thanks to Global Music Radio and John Farmer. And special thanks also to Barry Anders of Shriekback for the theme song of Sticky Jazz. And special thanks to Depeche Mode for being the kind of band that would have someone like Strangelove line it up for you. Everybody, have a good week. Take care. Be good to each other. And let music do awesome in your lives. There's enough for everyone living for the nighttime. Taking the bandage from the eyes, hanging with the muffin. Everybody's favorite disguise. Special kind of thing on the little background noises on the little children sing. All the little big boys know there is a time for everything. And they say, Drink to the crude mashes, drink to the flaming tongue, drink to the holy mashup. Something for everyone, drink to the fiery furnace, drink to the sticky jazz, drink to the holy motion. We want what everybody has. Thank you.